2: We
3: welcome in our Richmond audience for the first time today, AM 910, FM 1051. we We're Grant and Danny, and you are listening to the fan. Thank you so much for making the show part of your day. We're going down to the Super Bowl. It's radio. We can do that. Hit up Radio Row. Talk to one of the top analytics minds in football, a guy whose work I've been reading for many, many years from Football Outsiders. He is the founder Football Outsiders, Aaron Schatz, is on the BetQL guest hotline. Bet smarter to beat the books. Download the BetQL app. Visit BetQL.com. Aaron, you've been digging through this matchup for a couple of weeks now. Give us some of the areas where you think the game could be decided as the Chiefs get ready to take on the Eagles in Super Bowl 57.
1: Well, one interesting stat about this game has to do with blitzes. For example, uh, you know, the legend is always, don't blitz Patrick Mahomes, just Do not do it. And the last couple of years, in fact, he just destroyed blitzes. But it's interesting. In 2022, Mahomes was actually better against a four-man pass rush than he was against the blitz. Meanwhile, the Eagles' defense only allowed 4.4 yards per play when they were blitzing. Now, if you flip it around to the other side, same thing. Jalen Hurts was worse with a blitz than he was without a blitz and the Chiefs defense was better when blitzing and we know that uh, Steve Spagnolo, the defensive coordinator in Kansas City likes his exotic blitz packages the question is does he trust those rookie cornerbacks to stay on an island against Jalen Hurts' great receivers AJ Brown and Devontae Smith
2: is there a set of personnel groupings that coaches might try to take advantage of in this game
1: no, nothing with a really big sample size that's interesting enough. It's, it's I mean, there's a couple of, uh, you know, for example, Kansas City was really good in 13 personnel this year, uh, which is three tight ends on the field. Uh, that's often a really good, uh, it's a really good personnel grouping to fool the other team because you bring three tight ends, you make it look like you're going to run, you play action, you pass downfield. But, the Eagles were actually really good against that personnel grouping, but it was only in like 40 plays. So I don't really know how much we learned from that.
3: That's actually it brings me to an interesting question. Cause I read all of your uh, breakdowns and a lot of your previews and you got your big Super Bowl uh, book coming out for this matchup, which I love, but what qualifies for you as a worthy sample? Like if you're saying that's not enough snaps, when do you start to care about a trend and what's that line of demarcation? Or is there one?
1: Yeah, I mean it's a it's a gradual line of demarcation, but you know, anything under like a hundred snaps is you probably aren't learning that much from it. So you probably need to get above a hundred snaps before you feel like you're learning something. But yeah, it's it's tough because you're gonna learn more from a multi year trend, right? Like Mahomes being really good against the Blitz for four years. But there were things that were different about his offense this season than previous seasons, like he didn't have Tyreek Hill. So you ask yourself, well, suddenly he struggled against the Blitz a little bit. Maybe that's real. Maybe it has to do with losing Tyreek Hill, or maybe it's not real. Maybe it's just a small sample size. It's one of the tough things about doing football analytics.
2: Football Outsiders, Aaron Schatz with us here on Grant and Danny. To me, I know it's so cliche, and I know there's like a uh, a guy that loves the Oklahoma drill, and bull in the ring, that's going to be pumping his fist when I say this. But I really do believe the offensive and defensive line play are, are going to be what decides this game. Thinking about how good Philadelphia is in both those regards and can Kansas City's offensive line hold up and can that defensive line with Chris Jones and company wreak some havoc. I, I think that's where this game's going to be, Aaron. Give me your thoughts. Kansas City's
1: offensive line is also very good. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're talking about the three best offensive lines in the game, you would probably put Kansas City in there along with Philadelphia. Really? They're the that Chief, good? The Chiefs? They're that good on the offensive line. Yeah, for example, Kansas City, not Philadelphia, actually led the NFL in ESPN's pass-block win rate stats. Huh. And Creed Humphrey, Creed Humphrey, for example, is probably the second-best center in the league behind Jason Kelsey of Philadelphia. The Kansas city defensive line is not as good <laughs> as the Philadelphia defensive line. The edge rushers in particular, I mean, Chris Jones is very special and Mike Dana had a really good game against Cincinnati in the AFC championship game, but like the edge rushers, like that's where Philadelphia has a big advantage in this game is the edge rushers. Um, and so Yeah, it's going to be tough to get past Philadelphia, the Philadelphia offensive line for those edge rushers, and they're going to be able to double-team Chris Jones probably and slow him down a bit.
3: Aaron Schatz, football outsiders, legitimately created DVOA. Made it up. Kind of a cool thing. Just created it out of the blue, and now it is universally used in front offices all over the league. Uh, Anecdotally, Nick Sirianni feels like one of the more aggressive coaches in the league. What do we know when we dive into the coaching matchup in terms of You know, who gives their team the most opportunities to stay on the field?
1: Yeah, you don't need anecdotally. I mean, actual number-wise, we have a stat called aggressiveness index, which looks at how often do coaches go for it on fourth down compared to the average coach in the league, right? Not compared to when they should, but when they actually do. And Nick Sirianni was number one this year. He was the most aggressive coach in the league when you compare him to his contemporaries whereas Andy Reid was 22nd. So there's a big difference between these guys. And by the way, Kansas City was lousy in short yardage. Like, it was a real weakness for them. So it kind of makes some sense as to why Andy Reid was not as aggressive in short yardage situations, because Kansas City was not good in those situations, either running the ball or passing the ball, which is a bit of a surprise. I've been calling Um,
3: for quarterback sneaks as like a revolution for years and years. Because I've always felt like it was the most efficient kind of underused play in short yardage. And I know that the Eagles were the best at it this year. I wonder if the Chiefs don't do it a lot with Mahomes. They're worried or maybe weren't good at it. Maybe that's
1: part of it. They're worried. Yeah, well, since he got injured on a quarterback sneak three three years ago, they don't. In fact, what they do when they want a quarterback sneak is they, they do a different player like Blake Bell who's a tight end, who used to be a quarterback at Oklahoma, like Blake Bell will take the snap and he'll sneak it instead of Patrick Mahomes. So, yeah, their reticence to use Mahomes on sneaks absolutely plays into their struggles in short yardage situations.
2: Aaron, maybe putting you on the spot here for a second, but for a while, for a long time in Andy Reid's coaching career, that was a guy I didn't trust in terms of game management, clock management, timeouts, challenges, you know, sort of the full things of those kind of controllable moments uh that a coach has. Scheme wise, brilliant. Genius, right? We the offenses speak for themselves. I feel like he he was always going to let the team down or be a net negative. I don't feel that way anymore. It may just be that the the, the rinse clean of the Super Bowl kind of washing over him there and he kinda of maybe shed that previous rep that, that he had. How do you feel about him in that regard and is that something I might rear its ugly head?
1: Yeah, there's still some uh, analytics out there on timeouts that suggest that Reed that suggests that Reed wastes timeouts a little bit more than the average, and Sirianni wastes timeouts a little bit less than the average. But I would agree with you. it definitely The feel is definitely that Andy Reed has his head wrapped around clock management better now than when he was with Philadelphia. And look, the other thing about Andy Reed is he's amazing at preparation and design and game planning. And having the extra week before the Super Bowl – Plays into that, right? Sirianni is going to be as good on fourth downs, no matter how much prep time he has. But Reed is going to be better at game planning with that extra week. You know, he's got this fantastic twenty-eight and four career record coming off a of bye week, right? So there is an element where having that extra week before the Super Bowl looks like it helps Reed a little bit more than it helps Sirianni. They're two very good coaches, both very good coaches. But what it helps, what Reed does well, more than what Sirianni does.
3: DVOA, which I mentioned, our guest Aaron created, is a way of kind of uh, ranking teams in efficiency that strips away a lot of what would have been like number biases. Um, where did these two teams end up ranking in the NFL
1: this year? Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles were, I think, third, and the Kansas City Chiefs were fourth. But then if you include the playoffs and you weight more recent games more, the Chiefs are third and the Eagles are fourth. So they're very very close together. The Eagles, you have to kind of adjust a little bit in your mind because they had those two games with Gardner Minshew at quarterback. And the interesting thing is they passed well in those two games, right? Minshew passed very well in Week 16 against Dallas. They did not run the ball as well because without Hurts to be a weapon in the running game and create, you know, the defense always has to account for the idea that he could run with the ball, and it makes things – a lot easier for the running back. Without Hurts, their running game was not as efficient as it usually is. So if you take out the two Minshew games, that boosts the Eagles up a little bit more.
2: I got in an argument with um, an Eagles fan, a buddy of mine. I try not to have too many of them in my life, Aaron, but it it just inevitably happened. Um, I was trying to make the point that the Eagles are the best team in the NFL, and they also had an easy schedule this year. Both are true, and yes. he took it of course as a sign of disrespect and you know, it nearly came to blows and, and that was kind of the end of it. But I think that was true, right? Like they're really good, but they also had a pretty easy time of it.
1: Yes, the Eagles had the easiest schedule in the league by our numbers. Now part of that is there's a stat going around about how they were like nine and one or something against teams with winning records. Well, that included the Giants, who our numbers thought were a below average team despite their winning record. Three wins, three wins over the Giants. And it includes Minnesota, which our numbers thought were a below-average team despite a winning record. So if you look at their regular season schedule, they had the easiest schedule in the league. That being said, Kansas City had the fourth easiest schedule in the league. So it's not like Philadelphia spent the entire season stomping on cupcakes while Kansas City was playing Cincinnati every single week. right? Kansas City had a couple of harder games. But for the most part, their schedule was pretty easy, too, like both teams played against the AFC South. And I will also say that historically, teams with the easiest schedule in the league are 3-3 three and three in the Super Bowl.
3: Aaron Schatz, Football Outsiders on Grant and Danny. I believe you vote for All-Pro and MVP. That's the case, correct? Yes. Did, if you're willing to say, did you vote for Patrick Mahomes, or do you think he will win?
1: What I will tell you is that I voted for Patrick Mahomes as the number one quarterback in my all-pro voting. And from that, you can guess as to what I did in my awards voting.
2: (laughs) Got you. Write that down.
3: Do do you anticipate, like, just now aside from you being a voter, you being a football analyst, is there any way he wouldn't win the MVP? Is there even an argument against him at this point?
1: No, because 49 of 50 voters voted for him as the first team quarterback. And at, at this point, the first team quarterback wins the MVP pretty much every year. Got it. So at this point, when the All Pro team comes out, whoever's the first team quarterback, you can basically assume that guy won the MVP.
3: Should a guy like Justin Jefferson, just as an example, or a, a dominant receiver or running back any year, Ever have a true shot at the MVP over quarterbacks, in your opinion?
1: I don't think so, unless they want to change the name of the award or they want to give us like voting outlines that say, consider positional value, right? Quarterback is just the quarterback plays so much of a role in how football works that the top 15 or 16 most valuable players in the league are quarterbacks. Now, we could do it differently and we could say who's the best player compared to the average at their position rather than who's the most valuable player. But if we did that, we should have voted for Justin Tucker as MVP a couple years ago. So <laughs> <laughs> right now, I think it's basically a quarterback award. And there are other voters who I think think like me. And we now vote the Offensive Player of the Year award as the best non-quarterback. And that's what Justin Jefferson is likely to win.
2: Write me a script for both teams winning this game here. Start with Kansas City, then then give me a Philadelphia script uh, for them to be champs.
1: I mean, the Kansas City script is basically Mahomes is Mahomes, and he's fully healthy, and he distributes the ball. And Travis Kelsey has a big game, even though the Eagles are very good against tight ends. The Eagles were sixth in DBOA against tight ends this year, and their linebackers are good in coverage. But they get the ball to Kelsey, they get the ball to the running backs underneath, they get the ball to the receivers, they distribute it all over the place. Chris Jones wreaks havoc, even on double teams. He overpowers Jason Kelsey, because as good as Kelsey is, he's a little undersized. And the Chiefs win, probably in a close game. It's very unlikely, I think, that this thing is a blowout either way.
3: So this is now putting you on the spot, non-Super Bowl, completely off your radar, but I'm just curious if, if a smart football person has any thoughts on either of these two things. Uh, we have heard within the last hour from reporting around the country that, number one, Ron Rivera said on Radio Row that he's expected to have Sam Howell be the starting quarterback in Washington going into training camp next year rather than maybe try to upgrade from him this offseason. So I'm curious if you have a thought on that. And then the other thing is Eric Bieniemy, If he does not get the head coaching job in Indianapolis... Adam Schefter saying he could be the favorite to be the OC either in Baltimore or here in Washington. And, and I'm curious if you have a enemy thought uh, as well.
1: Well, let me take the enemy first. The enemy is the play caller in Kansas City. So even though he does, it's interesting that they would allow him to make what, what kind of looks like a lateral move. I guess his contract ends this year. So he could make a lateral move to another team as offensive coordinator. And I guess that does give him a little more freedom because it's like Reed is sort of the designer of the offense, even though he's the play caller, but he's great. So, I mean, I think the enemy would be a plus for either Baltimore or Washington. Um, You know, I don't really have an opinion of Sam Howell. My basic opinion is guys taken that late in the draft do not generally turn into star NFL quarterbacks, but Washington, unless they trade up is not in position to take one of the four quarterbacks. There's four quarterbacks that are considered to be first rounders this year. And we're not really big Will Levis believers. And Anthony Richardson is definitely going to take some development time. And I don't think Washington has what it would take to get up high enough to get Stroud or Young. So it's either get some veteran or give Howell a shot. Like at that point, you might as well give Howell a shot, but I'm not expecting a lot from it.
2: Aaron, can I follow up? Why aren't you guys Will Levis uh, believers? It seems opinions vary on him pretty dramatically.
1: Uh, Mike Tanier, who is more of our draft guy than I am and was at the Senior Bowl in Mobile looking at the quarterbacks down there, and he's watched a lot of Levis films. He feels like there's just, like, the accuracy isn't good. The decision-making isn't good. Like, there'll be, like, one or two really good throws a game and then a lot of just badness.
3: Badness is uh, a very formal, familiar with that. Yeah, we know term, that. and we, we've we got that covered here in Washington at that position for many, many years. Hey, Aaron, thank you. We really appreciate the insight. We know you're busy in Phoenix. We'll let you go.
1: All right, thanks a lot, guys, and ever uh, hope everybody enjoys the game. We'll talk to you during the offseason.
3: Thanks, and For Aaron. more of Aaron's work, go to Football Outsiders. You can check him out there. I mean, that is a simplified way to look at Sam Howell as the guy, possibly, mm-hmm. which is to say that they are not going to be able to draft Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. Will Levis is also going to be way off the board before they pick. Richardson is the one guy they might be able to draft at their spot, and I still think that's unlikely. I would say
2: that's doubtful, too. Someone's going to move.
3: But let's just pretend like he slides down the board more than people think. That is a project, okay? He is a guy that is going to take time, and the ceiling is great. Everyone loves the ceiling. skill set's incredibly exciting. But remember the the story, and I'm not comparing the two necessarily, but last year the story was Malik Willis, and this is a project. This is going to take time, and then he got thrust onto the field this year. And to say that it didn't go well is the understatement of the century. I mean, I don't know how anyone could watch Malik Willis this year and feel like he'll ever be a good NFL quarterback. But we shouldn't have seen him yet is the point. So Mm -hmm. it's not even fair to him that we did. But I guess what I'm saying is when you take a guy that needs a lot of time and this year's version would be Richardson, much better prospect in my opinion than Willis coming from the SEC. He is not a fit for what they're trying to accomplish in this staff. Like, for the fans that want Ron Rivera and the Martys to take Richardson, I couldn't agree with you less on that. It has nothing to do with my take on Richardson. It's that he's not going to start this year, or certainly not early this year, and then the next staff very likely is going to inherit this guy that this group, which hasn't been right on one quarterback so far, has chosen for the next staff. They may not want anything to do with him. I think that is the worst-case scenario. And he's the most likely of the QBs that you could draft staying put. So do we really think they're going to trade a ton to move all the way up? I don't think anyone thinks that. So now it's basically veteran or Sam Howell. Do you want to pay Jimmy Garoppolo almost $30 million? And that's how you work back kind of a End process up with the Sam of yeah. elimination to eh, maybe a year of Sam Howell in a potential lame duck season isn't the worst idea.
2: I, I think it's very well put, Grant. I mean, if... If you ignore context for the sake of the the exercise, in a vacuum, a team that doesn't have a quarterback taking a guy with a very high ceiling that might take some time is very reasonable. That's a a nice thing to do in Anthony Richardson. But now you add in all the complicating factors. Potential sell the team, knock on wood. Ron Rivera entering year four, being in charge of anything and everything that has to do with the organization. Their previous track record. The mistake that we now are intimately aware of, of a new regime inheriting an old quarterback... Please and no thank you. I like Richardson, but I'm with you. It's going to take some time. There's a skill set there that is really, really intriguing and exciting, and I hope he goes to a good spot. But this wouldn't be that good fit. And I'm with you if you start eliminating things. like That's really what this is, is you start crossing things off. Do I want leftover trash from somebody else, a a veteran with a a mediocre track record that his current team gave up on? No, never again. Do I want him to do someone that the next regime is going to inherit and probably uh, stunt his growth? No. You know who, who that leaves? Sam Howell. That's the math.
3: Adam Schefter says look out for Eric Bieniemy as an offensive coordinator in D.C. or Baltimore. Let's get into that next on Grant and Danny here on The Fan. What a day for news on Grant and Danny. There is a lot going on. Toby's got you up to date every 30 minutes here on the fan. So here's what we're working on. Ron Rivera on Radio Row at the Super Bowl telling NFL Network likely Sam Howell is going to be the starting quarterback for the Commanders this season. And it's not necessarily likely that he's going to be the starter because they might go get someone better. It sounds more like he's saying likely he'll be the starter because he's got to earn the job. And I do think that, remember, he came on our show last time or one of the last times we had Rivera on. Now he only talks to Don Geronimo, uh, which is odd. But just a hilarious thing to say in 2023. I know, right? I I chuckle. I turn my mic off to chuckle. (laughs) But when he used to come on the the sports station to talk about the commanders, Uh uh, he told us that he never wanted essentially to just hand the job to a quarterback again. He wanted a quarterback to have to earn the job. He would only have these competitions. He wasn't going to crown anyone. That's what I take his, well, maybe, but the the hedging to me is not we might be able to get Derek Carr. The hedging is not him saying we might be able to trade for Aaron Rodgers. I think the hedge is just him not wanting to get crushed because someone's going to write a column saying, "How on earth are you naming Sam Howell the starter for no reason after one start?" Yeah, I think that's where the hedge is.
2: Yeah, to me, it's and you know, not not to speak ill of of, of the deceased, but it's this kind of post Haskins corollary, right, that he offered to us, where he felt like that was a mistake to hand the job to Dwayne Haskins, and then it sort of things spiraled from there. He didn't do a quarterback competition with Ryan Fitzpatrick. It was just Ryan Fitzpatrick's sake as soon as they got him. There was no competition with with Carson Wentz, at least initially, right? Then once the season started and played out how it did, that's the thing. I think it has to do with a youngster who hasn't really done it at a very high level or has a very small sample, right? That's kind of where, to me, this is sort of going. And you look at their opportunities, you look at where else they might find a veteran starter, it's not like last year's marketplace. There won't be too many places they can turn you're sort of got some some energy now for Hal in, in that statement to me, that sounds very much like unless this guy trips over his own shoelaces and slams his face into the grass every time he tries to drop back and take a snap, it's his gig. I also feel like they were just in this
3: exact same situation. Quite literally, they could keep the quarterback that they have in-house on the cheap or they could go out and overspend for a veteran. Last year, they went with the overspend for a veteran to try to get better option. It did not work. Now, that doesn't mean it will never work, Mm -hmm. but it didn't work last year. And they're right back in the exact same situation. It's like uh, the Bill Murray movie, Groundhog's Day. Like You wake up, and we're here again. What do I do? Do I walk the same path, and Ned Ryerson's going to come up and ask me a question? Do I step in the puddle again, and and my foot in my sock gets wet? Or do I do something a little bit different? And so he is going to learn how to play piano now, and he is going to catch the kid falling from the tree. I really believe that what happened with Wentz has shaped the what they're going to do this offseason. And by the way, I believe Howell is a better, cheaper version of Heineke. Both of those are good, by the way. Cheaper is better. Better is better. And so you basically have the Heineke versus Wentz, and now it is Howell versus Garoppolo. You know, Howell versus Carr or whatever. And they did the thing last year where they they got a quarterback who was, they thought, better than the one they had. And Garoppolo and Carr would be better probably than Howe. But at that cost, is the gap sizable enough? And, and that's what they're debating. And yeah. I think they've decided, let's save a lot of money at this position. Let's be, hopefully, passable at quarterback, play great defense, run the football, have these weapons who can make plays in the passing game, and let's beef this offensive lineup and be better everywhere else. And the other hope they have, and this is item number two today, is that they get better coaching on offense. Mm. Maybe they get better play calling. Maybe you have a better schemer on offense. Although I think Turner was a pretty good schemer. Maybe just not a good play caller or as good a play caller as you'd like. Enter this news from Adam Schefter from an hour ago. Chiefs OC Eric Bieniemy remains a prime candidate for the coordinator job with the commander's and with the Ravens, according to his sources. Biennemi has interviewed for the head job with the Colts. Uh They're going to be naming their head coach over the weekend, or very likely after the Super Bowl early next week. If it's not Biennemi, I think most signs point to him leaving Kansas City to be an OC somewhere else. Because we just had Aaron Schatz on, and he talked about how Biennemi's the play caller. Whether this is fair or not, the perception around the league is that Andy Reid dictates the play and that Eric Biennemi essentially calls it into the helmet yeah. of Patrick. Andy
2: Reid is too good. That's that's your, that's Biennium's biggest problem. Andy Reid's too well thought of. But even when you hear Bieniemy's the mind. play
3: caller, yeah. like I, I have asked people directly about that because you hear you you see him sometimes talking mm-hmm. into the headset. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, he does. Isn't he calling the play? The the way that it is described by people around the league, and I don't know if this is right, wrong, fair, whatever, but this is why Bieniemy hasn't gotten a job. It's uh, it's that Reid picks the play. The enemy calls it in. That's different than being a play caller. You see what I'm saying? Yep. And if that's actually how it works, well, get out of the shadow, go somewhere else, call plays here, have some success, and no one can
2: say a word to you. You run the whole thing. And it's even beyond just calling plays to me, right? It's, everybody knows it's Andy Reid's offense. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to enemy. I'm just, I'm trying to, you sort of paint the picture. That's reality. Here. Everybody knows that Andy Reid is not on the defensive in on the def, every defensive meeting. Going oh, so, and this if we see twelve personnel, we're going to have the, the you know are we going to go base? We're going to actually. He's not doing any of that stuff. He's an offensive guy. He runs the offense. There may be tons of input from Eric Pianemi, but the fact is, Andy Reid has decades of excellence in that regard. He put all the deposits in the bank as one of the great offensive minds this game has ever seen. That's where we are with Andy Reid. That's what's hurt Pianemi in my opinion. You leave. You come again. I keep picking here because this is one of the well, spots. But we got but, the Schefter report yeah. today. Washington and
3: Baltimore. He didn't name eight other teams. That's right. He said there are two teams that could be landing spots for Eric Bienemy if he leaves Kansas City. And by God, that's Washington's music. One of them is the Commanders.
2: If he comes here, Jack Del Rio's on the call. It the east side of the building where the defense is doing stuff, and you're on the west side. Ron Rivera will check in and say hi. And maybe offer a couple tips and tricks at, at a big team meeting or, or something else. You are running the show. He has not run the show in, in Kansas City. And, 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 and to me, again, I'm just—it's not that important a distinction to me. I would have hired that guy ten times over just because he was in the room with greatness and maybe do some of the things Andy Reid did for a little while. But whatever. I think that's the next step that he's got to take. So
3: I'm trying to talk myself into how Washington could beat out Baltimore for the enemy. Aside from money, where you would just have to overspend or spend more than Baltimore would, which, by the way, this offseason doesn't seem overly likely with a sale. But the one thing I keep coming back to is Ron Rivera and Andy Reid are very close. Don't forget about that. Mm. Ron Rivera and Andy Reid were together in Philadelphia. Does that give you a leg up on Baltimore, perhaps? Because this league is just so much about relationships, right? The good old boy network of, I worked with this guy many years ago, and so now I'm hiring his son as my linebacker's coach. If Rivera and Reed are having conversations where Andy, because this would be an Andy pushing be enemy out the door. Basically, he's taking the little birdie and throwing him out of the nest saying, hey, man, you, you just got to go. You got to go get your own job. No one's going to let you do it when you keep living under my wing here. Maybe it's a Reed Rivera discussion where Reed goes, "Hey, what if I what if I send Eric your way? Like, could we make that work?" He's got to get his shot. Rivera is not only I think um, very loyal, right, and is tight with Reed, but also he does a good job. I commend him a lot for this. They have a very diverse staff, and Rivera is one of the few non-white head coaches in the NFL, obviously. You know, I think that it is important to him sometimes to give people opportunities or to help people in their careers. You've seen that he's been willing to take chances on sure. deserving candidates. Who's more deserving of that shot this many years into being an OC of a good offense, who for whatever reason can't get his chance, than Eric Bieniemy?
2: Yeah, I think it's well put. I mean the the thing I keep coming back to, I, I, I've called it the Ronald Darby corollary. You could come up with whatever you want. If you're the enemy, you're not looking for stability and something sustainable for the long term to be the OC in a a different city. You are trying to get onto the head coaching candidate uh, carousel. He's already been, frankly, he's interviewed with, what, more than half the league? But he needs to be a preferred candidate in in that regard. The best way to do that is to leave Andy Reid shadow. I think everybody kind of realizes that eyes wide open. And there's different ways to do it. If your offense is at the top of the rankings and they weren't before, that's awesome. If you're a group that has been insufferably bad, immeasurably poor when it comes to the NFL uh, and offense for, what, half a decade since Cousins left, then this is what you do. You go and prove them to mediocre, and everyone around here is going crazy if they score three touchdowns in a game. And all of a sudden, if you're in the middle of the pack, you look like a genius because nobody before you could figure it out. That's a way to do it. Now everyone sees, hey, you run your own show, you're well thought of. You're well-connected. You've been in a couple different places. You could run my big thing.
3: Hiring him as a head coach is a risk. Like any first-time head coach hired, D'Amico, Ryan, Kyle Shanahan, or anybody else would be. I might even say it's a bigger risk with him just because there have been over half of the NFL teams have sat down with him and interviewed him and have decided on someone else, Mm -hmm. which to me is odd, I will say. That is a ton of interviews to not have gotten a job. It's
2: bizarre.
3: It's very strange. but. Hire him as an OC is not in any way a risk. It's a no brainer. Mm-hmm. It's a great hire. Worst case scenario, he leaves Andy Reed and, and he's not the, the, the crown jewel that we all thought. He doesn't have a great run over a couple of years here. You know, Basically Byron left, esque, where Leftwich was with Arians and, and was on his way to being a head coach. And everyone loved him. Arians is no longer around and the offense regresses. So what you've been a bottom five, bottom 10 offense with Scott Turner. It, if that's the worst case scenario, and the the possible benefit is that he's the next great OC and the next great play caller in the league, that is well worth. Sign me up. The possibility.
2: Yeah. What's the alternative? Your offense is bad. I've seen that. Way, Marks and Largo.
3: Down. What's up, Mark? How are you?
2: Hey, buddy. How y'all doing, up, man? man? It's great to hear from you guys. It's been a minute. Um,
1: I think I think Eric being B and me coming here would be a great move, a great hire. And I think potentially could could take us to new heights to 11 and 12 wins next year. Because think about it, guys. The NFC East has had the easiest schedule. Next year is going to be a lot tougher for exception of us. And it'll be a lot easier for them. Sam could be able to do what he has to do, go to 11 and 12 wins, win the division, playoff game. And then a lot of people at that radio station will probably be upset because Ron may get an extension. But we're rooting for Eric and Ron, aren't we, guys? Aren't
2: we,
3: Branch? Yeah, I, I guess Later. so. If, yeah. If they,
2: if they win 11 or 12 games in the division, I'll put any personal feelings I have aside. I don't understand the question, I guess. I'm very confused. Like, I I, I don't know if it was directed at you. He, well, he, he didn't say your name. I would say me. Like, I don't think Ron DeVere is particularly good at this. I think he's an okay coach, and I think he's a bad executive. If they get this right and they win 11 or 12 games with a more difficult schedule next year, okay, extend the dude right yeah. away. Let's go. Absolutely. I mean,
3: I, I he will need to be extended based on his contract at that point. I might tack on an extra year or something like that, um, just as a congratulations and an attaboy after a strong year. And it look like you're headed somewhere, for sure. But I, I'll tell you, I'll be rooting for enemy if he comes here to get this offense right. And in general, I root for him because he's, he's become an underdog, man. This many interviews and no job? Nobody has to leave where they're at to call plays to get a job when they've gotten this many interviews. He shouldn't have to, I don't think. He should have already had a head coaching job. And if he doesn't do well, then he doesn't do well. But he should have had the shot to to succeed or mess it up. And it hasn't even happened yet. So, yeah, I'll be rooting for him. He's Danny. I'm Grant. You're listening to The Fan. 20 minutes from right now. We got Fallout Boy tickets that could be yours. At 440, I am all kinds of fired up. The Birdman. Ian Eagle, going to be on the call of Super Bowl 57, going to be joining us on g That's at 440 today, one hour from right now on G&D. Our double play
1: comes your way next.
3: Roger Goodell spoke today at the Super Bowl. He was asked about the commander's team sale and Mary Jo White's never-ending investigation. I mean, how many months does it take to do this investigation? Uh, We will play the audio of what Roger Goodell said, about a 50-second answer, this segment, when we're done with our double play. So that's coming up in just a few minutes. You'll want to hear that on Grant and Danny. But let's get you the double play. What's going on in our lives? Nothing to do with sports.
2: The numbers keep on climbing. 7.5 million viewers watched it live. We'll do it live! That's The Last of Us on Sunday night on HBO within the next 48 hours, another 15 to 20 million uh, tune in and watch it on their own time. It is a juggernaut. It's kicking all kinds of butt. Episode 4 slowed down a little bit, GP. This is now about the development of Joel and Ellie's relationship. They needed to kind of pause. You're seeing some uh, new formidable obstacles for these folks, and you realize it's not just about people versus zombies. That trope has been done a million times over. We're now into what really this show is about. I'm not spoiling anything here. It's about people and how we behave when some of the rules and things kind of break down. And the greatest enemy in the show, in my opinion, is other human beings. Which has also been done a lot, for the record. But this
3: is done in a way that's better than most of those other things. And I loved episode four. Yep. I would say I liked it better than episode three. Everyone um, adored episode three. And it was good. It was interesting. It was was well done. Uh, I think episode four, because there was more action. There were that we're talking about fight scenes. We're talking mm-hmm. about uh, scary moments. I think the last 10 seconds of episode four, maybe even two minutes, were incredible. Were fantastic. Right. Uh, and, and the cliffhanger at the end of the fourth episode. Good luck not watching the fifth episode. Exactly like, right. Shows and movies and books that can end a chapter, so to speak, in a way where you cannot wait to start the next one. Have the secret sauce, and this show does it really well.
2: So the reason I bring it up, hey, I love it so much. Uh, it's bringing back all kinds of great memories, and I'm so curious as to how they adapt certain things. They, for example, added a character that's not in the game to the to the mo- to the I was called a movie to the show that actually works really, really well. I thought it was really, really cool. Who was not in the videos? Uh, Kathleen. The Interesting. You, 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 I don't want to say too much more about. Yeah, her. I you know, I know the, what Kathleen I'm talking is. about? Yeah, the she's interrogating. Um, she's not specifically in it really i thought really well done sort of personifies this person we kind of developed these these folks more
3: this is important though because these types of projects should not be just for the person who played the video game exactly they can't be because there's our people like me that will just never play this video game mm-hmm. but if you don't have us you got nothing
2: then what you, you're you making it for a couple million people and out of that you you know if you get 75% good luck it's the show's a failure it's
3: crazy what this um Show has gone up against on Sundays, though. NFL playoffs, Super Bowl. There's some type of major political event or something, I know, and it's scheduled, too. And they said, yeah, we don't care. We're going to drop it in here. We're going to go head to head with these things. And if people want to watch us after the fact, that's fine, too.
2: So the reason I bring it up today uh, is that the next episode, episode five, Friday, it'll be available because of the Super Bowl. They were like, yeah, we think people might be tuned into that. So they're going to let folks watch. It won't be live on air. It'll just be available on the app. I think it may be airing live. I'm not 100% sure about that, but if you've got HBO, you most likely have HBO Max or whatever the service is called. You'll be able to tune in at some point on Friday, which I plan on doing because I love it. I can dig that. All right, that'll do it for our double play. So Roger Goodell today speaking
3: at the Super Bowl, uh, as is normally the case. He he talks for, what, close to an hour, and there are huge issues with each organization. There's big storylines in all the major markets. The one that we care about the most here is Dan Snyder selling the team and what's going on with the Mary Jo White investigation. I believe we have that audio, uh, so we'll play for you. This is Goodell being asked by Mark Maskey of the Washington Post about those big stories here in D.C. Roger
1: Straighthead, um, what are your expectations at this point on the potential sale of the commanders, and also when do you anticipate that Mary Jo White will complete her investigation and deliver a report to you? I'll take those in reverse orders. Uh, Mary Jo White, as I've said many times to you, that there's no timeline given to Mary Jo White. She is um, authorized to work independently. Um, There is no timeline for her to come to any conclusions when she does that. uh, She will let me know, and we will let the public know at that point in time. As far as the process, um, the commanders are under a process. Um, That's their process. Ultimately, if they reach a conclusion and have Someone will be joining the ownership group um, or buying the team uh, entirely. That's something that the ownership uh, will look at.
3: Me could have saved everyone a lot of time and just said nothing new on those fronts. <laughs> he didn't have much to say about the commander's sale. He says, look, when they decide they're selling, when they pick a potential buyer, we'll get involved, in, and at that point, the owners will have to okay that new owner. More interesting to me, though, even though he just said the same thing he's been saying, no timeline on Mary Jo White, I thought there was a small chance he might say something was imminent. and I, That would have been the, the the groundbreaking development today, is if he said, you know, I recently talked to her, we're expecting something soon, uh, something could be coming in that regard very soon. Like If it's true, what's being reported by Fox Business News and our guest at 5 o'clock who had the report today, that Snyder's going to be selling as soon as before March and after the Super Bowl, which means in the next four to five weeks, which is amazing. It could also technically be true that the Mary Jo White investigation is about to drop, and that could happen in the next couple weeks ahead of the Dan sale. If if the league really wants to make sure they get that out there so that the sale doesn't bury what they found Uh or, or make it less of a big deal after so many months of digging in and sinking their teeth into this. So I thought there was a chance today maybe he'd say that her report is coming soon, but nothing new there. The, the longest investigative report
2: that has ever investigative reported. I wonder. I wonder what the holdup is. I've got so many conspiracy theories about it, which most of them are are not grounded in reality, and are just all sorts of uh, weird thoughts that come into my mind. But the one that makes the most sense to me, not necessarily the conspiracy theory, like my best guess as to why this is taking forever, I think they can they could wrap it up any day they want. I think she's talked to everybody she's going to talk to is written down what she's going to write down. I think they're holding it just in case Dan gets second thoughts or cold feet or changes his mind. As, as I think they they're holding it over as kind of the trump card, right? Where it's like if he's gone, the NFL's not going to release a, a report about a former owner. You know what I mean? Like they'll, they'll they'll it'll quietly sort of go away or be a, a news dump like July 4th at at 10:59 p.m. or something like that. But for the most part, the fact that it's taken forever, like it's not like she's interviewing new people. At this point, right? I mean, it's not like they go, oh, there's one more witness we have to talk to that we just haven't been able to track down yet. It's been God knows how long. It feels like a year and a half at this stage. He's Danny. I'm Grant.
3: This is The Fan. That's the latest from Goodell out at the Super Bowl. Beltway Blitz on the teams in town you care the most about. It comes your way next. Plus, we're giving away those tickets to go see Fallout Boy as soon as we return, right here on The Fan.